Good morning, everybody. I'm usually back there behind the soundboard. <laughs> uh, but Ryan got me to be up here um, to talk about hope in the climate change. All right. Um, my husband's back there, Noah. I drug him out. <laughs> We got married 20 years ago. Has it been 20? 1999 is when we got married, right? We partied up like 1999. Some of you, you guys are too young for that reference. Whatever. Um, oh, thank you. 1999. And back then we were, um, for our wedding, we did an eco-friendly. This was before anything was green. And um, we were trying to save the oceans back then. So I have a real heart for um, ecology, for saving the environment. And now we're talking about global climate, right, saving the world. So why not come out of the hiding, per se, and just come up here and share what I have to you guys. Um, So um, it's something that I'm passionate about. And I just want to start off by saying how cool is it for us to have a space in church, right, to talk about global, global warming, about climate change. Um, I grew up in the church, literally. Um, I was born in Indonesia. My grandparents were converted to Christianity in, um, by, the Dutch, uh, by the Dutch missionaries. Um, so... Indonesia is a, a Muslim country, so we had church in our house. So I grew up having services in, inside our house. We had baptisms in our pool. Uh, we had communion in our living room. Um, and so when we migrated here in 1980 as a family, we continued going to church. We started with the Presbyterian do- uh, denomination um, and then work our way to the mainline evangelical circles, um, all this to say that there is no way in heaven that <laughs> there would have been talk about climate change or having a vegan potluck spread in any of the churches that I've ever gone to. So I am so grateful that I am here and um, being able to share my plant-based um, perspective with you. Um, with that being said, I don't want to be up here. I am vegan. I've been vegan for four years. I don't want to be up here to vegan shame anybody. <laughs> okay. I like to think of myself as a, um, non-judgmental vegan just because for 43 years of my life, I was a hardcore carnivore. So, so I did my share of meat-eating Bob. I did my share of pork ribs, all right? I even grilled them. I cooked them. And Noah can tell you how good they they. I still cook meat for my family. So there you go. So, um, But I am vegan. So uh, the last thing I want to do is stand here and shame anybody into plant-based because I've been there. 
So, all right. Um, and I didn't want to stand up here and do a PETA-like demonstration. You know, like I didn't want to show the slaughterhouses and what happens in there. Um, I do encourage you to know where your food comes from, and especially your meat. <laughs> um, it's hard to see because it's not as pretty as we see it in the supermarkets, right? It's not like it doesn't come packaged and cut up and clean and no blood. <laughs> so if you've, never, if you've never looked at that, I encourage you to do that and see where your food's com- coming from. And um, one of my, I love to cook. So one of my heroes is Gordon Ramsay, believe it or not. And uh, excuse the crudeness as people are walking in. <laughs> uh, one of the mottos that I follow is Gordon Ramsay's quote saying, if you don't have the balls to kill something, then you don't have the balls to eat it. So I don't have, well, I don't have balls anyway, but that, that's a different... That's a different Sunday. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if I don't have the guts to kill, you know, a fish even, I can't kill them. But anyway, there you go. That's, I'm throwing that one out there. Um, but what I do want to do today is to continue with the hope, bringing hope into this climate crisis. Um, in the last few weeks, we heard from can I, Dr. Bob. And Ryan and Sochi, I don't think she's here, right? So we've heard from them. Uh, Dr. Bob, he started off the series by talking about Romans 8 and spoke about militant hope. Um, I'm going to quote him now, so I'm going to read. Um, that nature, because he's, yeah, he uses big words, so I'm going to need to read it. Uh, that nature has a will, and that will has been subjugated and abused in many instances, like hum- many human groups have been oppressed, held down, and abused. But through the power of God's sustaining activity in this world, even in the midst of subjugation, creation continues to work in the hope, militant hope that it will be restored. It never stops. It never gives up. Isn't that great? Isn't that? That brings me hope. Um, So I thought, I brought this piece of lettuce right here um, that, you know, I buy from, it's a little, yeah. I I cut up all the the, the leaves as I'm dripping water. There we go. <laughs> um, and it has no roots. But I thought, what an amazing illustration of militant hope and action. It's actually growing new leaves. And if we put this in soil, and I do it, I, I put it in soil, it'll grow into a good-sized lettuce, and you can keep eating it. Um, so... What a great, that's just like a illustration for me when I, when Bob said that, it's totally what came into mind of restoration in action. And then Ryan also spoke about Romans 8. He talked about active hope and how it requires us to discover our resiliency amidst doomsday fact in regards to global warming Working through despair and grief towards hope through gratefulness. That's a quote, too. So um, he also spoke about how God is found in mud. 
um, that Jesus is always breaking purity laws, uh, basically, basically being homeless, um, spending time with many people in society deemed as unclean. Um, he challenged us to embrace the spirituality of the dirt. I like that. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And this was my favorite quote from his teaching that day. He said, where death is avoided, life is blocked. So I want to hashtag that as deep truth. Okay, that, I thought that was really good. Um, Sochi then talked about, um, she took us to Genesis and about uh, finding connection to God through nature. She reminded us that we are one part of the whole um, and to reconnect to this earth by touching a tree, um, touching the dirt, the ground, um, something green every day. Um, I love the fact that she acknowledged that it is our hurts, uh, our wounds that keep us from being connected. And is that, is that true? That's why we hide and we, we separate and isolate ourselves. So where does that leave us today? And I have the honor to tie everything <laughs> together, I feel. Um, so I want to tie it all by going back um, bring us back to the beginning to the Bible of the Bible, going back to the garden, um, back to nature and back to the plants and trees and dirt. Um, all throughout the Bible, God has a knack of using the least likely um, to, pro to prove a powerful point. God used stuttering Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, Rahab to save the two spies, which led to tearing down of Jericho and bringing Israel to the promised land. David, the runt to kill the giant Goliath. Jesus was born in a manger who turns out to be Messiah. Can we see the pattern come in here? When it comes to climate crisis, can the answer be in the least likely of these? such as us and plants. Um, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, yeah, thank you for getting that. <laughs> I'm going to go out on the limb and say yes. <laughs> and I'm going to oversimplify this, but stay with me. Um, in the creation story of Genesis 1, God created the earth by separating the waters and the earth and the land. And then she planted plants and trees and then added animals and then people. Just like building a house, it makes sense to put the most important things first as the foundation. So we need the land, water, plants. Um, those are the earth foundations. Without those things, we wouldn't have animals and people. In Genesis 129, as it's been up there. Thank you. Um, in God's perfect creation of the Garden of Eden, everything that moves on the earth and life um, ate plants. It says, Then God said, See, I have given you every plant that gives seed that is on the earth, and every tree that has fruit that gives seeds, they will be food for you. 
I have given every green plant for food for, to every animal of the earth and every bird on the sky and to everything that moves on the earth that has life. And it was so. God saw that he had made it and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Can we just take a moment to think about that? God is in heaven where we all want to be, right? We all, we all dream of going to heaven. Uh, it's been called nirvana. It's been called the good place. It's been called um, a place of perfection where there's no pain or sorrow. Um, and God decides to leave heaven and creates earth puts a garden on it and told the living creatures to eat plants. To me, that was so mind-blowing because, one, how special is this place for God, wherever he, she is, to come to earth, to leave heaven, to be with us? That was the... I had to meditate on that. And then the second thing is... um, God can eat anything, right? He, she can eat chocolate cake every single time. <laughs> Whatever he wanted, he, he can eat anything. But he chooses to nourish his most beloved creation with plants. Um, so that was like, whoa, that's mind-blowing for me. Um, it tells me that in God's perfect place, more perfect than heaven... Can we say that? There is no space for violence. So I don't think there were any slaughterhouses in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Um, it just wouldn't make sense. Um, so, of course, we know this creation story and Adam and Eve falls, the sin. And in Genesis 6... 11, we see that now the earth is corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And then in Genesis 9, 3, when God, is when God allowed Noah and his descendants to eat meat. And in the third verse, it says, everything that lives and moves about will be food to you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Okay, so now for anyone who has read the Bible from this point on to like the New Testament, it just goes downhill, right? (laughs) That's my take on it. My layman's take on it, like Israel travels the desert for 40 years, find promised land, loses promised land, and goes out to exile. And how many years were they in exile for pastor, doctor? For another 40 years. But anyway, and then Jesus comes, and then he is killed too. All right. So it takes me to uh, this quote from Pythagoras, um, who was around about 500 B.C. As long as man continues to be ruthless destroyers of lower living things, he will never know health or peace. For as long as men massacre animals, they will kill each other. Indeed, he who sows the seed of murder and pain cannot reap joy and love. 
from personal experience, going plant-based for me has softened my heart from being a carnivore to plant-based. But it also has saved my life. It has given me peace and health. On the health front, um, I had so much health issues before I went plant-based. I had GI issues. I was in pain every single day for six years. At some point, I thought I had colon cancer. And, and I did not want to give up meat because basically I, had a, I didn't have a sweet tooth. I had a meat tooth. And that was like the last thing I want to give up. Um, but then um, the more doctors I saw, everything came out clear. And all they say is I had IBS you know, here's some medicine. But, you know, I wanted solutions. I'm like, okay, thanks. But I really don't want to take medicine for the rest of my life. And no one wants to hear that the food that you love is killing them. But that is exactly what was happening to me. At least that's how it felt like. That's when I started to look around and started opening my perspective in order to get my health and my life back. And to be pain-free. That's when I started to listen, like, uh, uh, listen to people like Rich Roll, who is an ultra-marathoner, and Brendan Brazier, a competitive triathlete, saying that we can not only live on plants, but we can thrive, we can perform beyond and better without meat. And that was just another mind-blowing thought for me. From then on, I gave it a try. One week into giving up meat, my six years of pain was gone, and it was like day and night. And for me, that one, that first time I was not in pain that night, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, this is it. This, that, that was all I needed. That was like such a powerful proof for me. And that I had to say goodbye to meat. And I did that almost four years ago now. And I think Pythagoras was right. By taking death out of my life, I found health and life. And I can say as a 47-year-old running coach who is able to run with some of my high schoolers still, um, I never felt better. And I've never been in the best shape of my life. And I have these things to thank for, you know? Um, because plant heals, and just like the earth heals when we reconnect to it. Um, in Ezekiel forty-seven twelve, it says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fall. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows from them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves... Leaves for healing. From there, I decided, since I went plant-based, I decided, oh, why, why don't I just start my edible garden? <laughs> um, we, we have two kids. They were young, and I thought, oh, what a great way to show them. It'll be a good learning experience. They can get their hands dirty. They learn about sowing and reaping and all that goodness. Um, and I started doing this. Oh. Hold on. There we go. Um, 
And so we started a garden, and then as we started a garden, we realized, oh, when we garden, we need to have healthy soil. So from then, we started to compost all of our food waste, like banana peels, whatever we have, it goes back into our yard. Um, And I did all this not because I wanted to save the earth, right? I just wanted to have delicious, fresh garden or or fresh vegetables and herbs to cook with. Um, Unbeknownst to me, as I was getting my hands in the dirt and I started to toil with the soil to grow this garden, I started to reconnect with the earth. And as Sochi had mentioned in her uh, in her teaching that the earth heals, and I did find great spiritual healing from gardening. Not only that, I started sharing our fruits and veggies with our neighbors, with our friends and families. Um, I was out in the front yard a lot, so I started to talk more to my neighbors. And, you know, we got to tell stories, and um, I'm more involved with them now. And likewise, um, and through gardening, I've not only found connections with the earth, but the neighbors, and I also refound connection with the community. It's been an eye-opening journey for me, um, and I share all this not to toot my own horn. It's to share with you the magic and the powerful Thing that is in plants, this thing that God created in the Garden of Eden, this thing that God deemed the best thing to nourish us without violence. It's, I believe, the world's unsung hero. It nourishes, it heals, it helps us reconnect to the earth and community. It is also a living illustration of active, militant hope and restoration, and just like this lettuce. It is active and militant hope. This active and militant hope is in plants, and it is also within us. I believe if everybody just adds a little bit more vegetables and plants in their life, whether it be through eating or growing or a little bit of both, we'll be able to save this earth, and perhaps even find world peace. Think about that. Um, Again, God picks the least, what seems so unlikely to save the world. Will you be a part of it? If you're skeptical, I encourage you to test it out for yourself and see where it leads you. See how it makes you feel and think. Remember, there are no slaughterhouses in the Garden of Eden. Maybe we won't be able to get back there, but I think this world would be a much better place with less of them around. So thank you for letting me share my plant-based perspective with you. It's been an honor. Thank you. All right, will you, will you hang up here just for a second? Uh, so I just want to open the floor if anybody has any questions. Uh, so we're going to you know, wrap up our series. This is the end. We're gonna do, Bob's going to lead us in a communion meditation. Bob, do you want to come up here? Uh, but I wanted to just, before we wrap up this series and this whole month of talking about you know, how we understand ourselves in 
the, the climate situation that we find ourselves, but also how do we interact every day in, in real life. Because when it comes down to it, there's so much going on, and sometimes we can get bogged down in sort of all of it and say, well, I don't really know exactly what to do. So I just wanted to just offer space if anybody had any questions uh, about uh, what Monica was talking about or anything else that we've talked about this month, feel free. Yeah, Laura. Okay, I am not a doctor nor a nutritionist, um, but the advice I could give you is go slow. Like, I, when I transitioned, I went very slowly um, and just gave up one thing at a time. Or, if anything, just add more vegetables. I don't think there's any doctor out there that would argue with adding more vegetables into your life, like fresh vegetables, not, you know, not, not so much desserts, not vegan desserts, because you can go bad with that too. Um, I would just say if you want to start, add more vegetables in your life um, and then uh, start turning down a little bit or take uh, consuming less meat or take you know, instead of red meat, do fish or whatever. But that's that's uh, advice. Does that help? Ye- I do a lot of beans, and I do a lot of greens. Greens, and uh, I do grains as well um, because legumes and grains put together, and it becomes a complete protein. So, But if you add the vegetables, you add the fiber, right? Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I would say just go slowly and see what works for you because every single one of us is different. We have we all have different needs. Some of us have allergens and stuff, and maybe you can't turn uh, all completely a hundred percent. But even if you do eighty percent, um, you know, ninety percent less. That that's a huge difference. Um, but I do think there's probably an extended discussion that uh, Monica, we didn't get into this month that I thought you brought up, which was just uh, the conversation ar- around violence, which I think is really interesting. Um, and it's another theological question to unpack, which is um, how do we understand God and the divine? And many people see God as, uh, you know, in a, you know, retribution type judging God. I mean, that's, I've said this many times before, but most of the, the most common comment that I get when people find out that I'm a pastor is some sort of like a uh, visceral reaction as if I'm like a stand in for a judgmental God like that, just from like regular people that you meet in like on an airplane or whatever, there's a sort of a visceral like pulling back because the sort of image of God that they grew up with perhaps is one of like a retribution Uh, judgmental God. And I think all of us have a little bit of that understanding, but the way that Monica framed it this morning in talking about nonviolence and uh, a nonviolent God, or if we see the person of Jesus to be an inherently nonviolent person, then how do we translate that into all of our interactions with uh, our lives, the planet, uh, where we eat and find our our food? So if we take that nonviolent approach all the way to its logical conclusion, um, it, it really does take us to a place where we have to grapple with, well, how are we participating in systems of violence with what we purchase and eat ourselves? Uh, because we know that 
creating meat is an inherently violent process all the way through. Um, and so I think that's a really challenging message, practically, but also theologically. Anything to add there, Bob? I think. But I think that's a, a, long, a longer discussion. I have a qu- and, uh, I know Andrew is an actual nutritionist, but one thing that I you know, get asked all the time is uh, two things. Uh, you know, where do you get your protein if you're a vegan? Because most people are like, you have to have meat to have protein, um, which I don't know if you want to address that. And then two, um, where do I start? Because when I think about, uh, I think a lot of people, when they think vegan, they just think of sort of like raw uh, vegetables or like steamed frozen vegetables. Like this is the life that, this is the lifestyle that they're getting into. So where do people go to find ideas uh, to expand their sort of like understanding of what it is to eat a vegan lifestyle, that it's not just sort of like raw, cold vegetables and a life of misery. Wow, thanks for framing it that way. (laughs) I hope I don't look too miserable to you guys (laughs) because the good news is I think there's a lot of resources out there, right? Especially now, just if you Google, if you Google vegan or how do I start, you'll go to so many. There's lots of websites. Uh, for me personally, I started off wrong. I ate, diff, uh, I I just took like whatever, and I felt horrible. And it was Brendan Brazier's book, Thrive. That's that that was my Bible. Um, and that's when I started learning how to soak and sprout my beans, whatever. Um, and then I also learned that we don't need 160 grams of protein every day. You don't need to have a protein at every meal. You don't need that much. Um, but like sprouting my nuts and beans, I get my proteins there. I get them from green leaf vegetables that I do cook and eat raw. (laughs) Um, and then the good news is what I do is I just make big batches and then I have leftovers and I put the leftovers in a bowl and I have myself like a, like a goddess bowl or something, you know, and put a little tofu. Tempeh is Indonesian, so that's close and dear to my heart. Um, but there's so many uh, imitation or um, the green meats now, like Beyond Meats, that are, it's just like ground beef. They're mold, some of them are moldable. So there's a lot of replacement plant-based meats as well that you can incorporate into your life. They, the, the great news is that right now, I think veganism is booming. So everybody, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for f- different types of food and resources for that. Yeah, I mean, you can... You can find so many good uh, demonstrations, like cooking uh, demonstrations on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. It's a good place. Um, R- Monica mentioned a guy named Rich Roll earlier. Uh, him and his wife have a few cookbooks that you can find. You can find online. If you have the uh, Libby app, which is the, the library app on your phone, you can just create an online account uh, through the Los Angeles Public Library. And they have, like, the e-books as well. So that's another way that, to go as well is if you have a – uh, public library account where you can create an e-card account, you can download those online cookbooks um, through a keyword search on your phone. It's sort of another easy way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so we're about to share in a time of communion with all of the, the food that you guys brought. Um, 
and that's going to be our, that's going to how we're going to close the service and how we're going to take communion this morning is just by, by sharing this meal together. Um, there's going to be like some slides up here that we can, uh, that I can like play through, uh, while we're, while we're all eating. Uh, but it just has uh, positive, uh, all of the positive solutions that are available to us. I know a few weeks ago when I spoke, I mentioned that uh, Greta Thunberg had mentioned uh, that we already have the solutions, right? We just have to awaken people to, um, to all of what's available to us. So um, there are a bunch of uh, solutions that we have in, in the slides that are available to us, but it is going to require all of us and all of the systems uh, available uh, to us. One of the ones that was uh, really uh, su- surprising, I think, uh, that it was so high on the list, um, but just reminds us of the power of um, how we can just empower people is like number six on what is going to help our climate is just empowering and teaching young women uh, globally. Because when we empower and teach young women around the world, um, a whole new realm of ideas and solutions are, uh, yeah, educating girls. Uh, it, they, they estimated that it has uh, the equivalent of 59.6 uh, gigatons of reduction uh, to CO2 emissions, and that's number six uh, in available solutions, um, because that goes from uh, you know global family planning to all sorts of climate solutions. Uh, women, this is another interesting statistic that I found. Uh, we always think of uh, big agriculture, right? Big agriculture. And how much of our food comes from this. And, and you'll hear many people say that uh, we can't feed the global population without big agriculture. Well, actually, small farm uh, women that operate small farms, which are five acres or less, produce more uh, plants for us than all the big agriculture companies combined. Just women who work five acres or less globally. And so, when we think about the future of solutions and when we think about the future of Christianity and the future of faith, it's really uh, not a move backward, but a move going forward and thinking of all of the, the hopeful things that we have in the future if we, just, if we just do it. We have all the solutions that we just implement. So I think uh, as we close the what is hope in the midst of climate crisis, it's, it's us. It's us and the future of what um, God is doing in creation and how we can be a part of that.